What's up? And welcome to Forte Catholic. It is nice to be back on the air with you tonight. First live show after a couple of pre-records that came out the last couple of weeks because I was gone last week. I spent the week with um, with our staff over to Blaze Ministries on our yearly staff retreat, which is a, a great time to just recharge after a crazy busy semester and just uh, have a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time in, in community. So um, I will be sharing a little bit more about that on this week's show, but or, uh, sorry, on next week's show. But on this week's show, we have a very special treat. Mr. Joel Stepanek from Life Teen, uh, great speaker, author, is here with us to be a co-host with us for the entire show uh, to talk about a, a topic that's near and dear to his heart of discernment. So Joel's on the line now. Joel, how are you doing today, man? I'm so good, Taylor. It's awesome to be here. I first live show back and you have me. I am quite frankly honored, flattered, and a little bit nervous, but nonetheless excited. Nervous. So you speak on stage in front of thousands of people at student vote conferences and the like, but you're nervous to, to, to just have a conversation with me on the radio, huh? It's it's the medium. You're a professional. You do this, and it's the faces. I can see the ten, twenty, hundred, a thousand people out in the audience and start to know if you're you know kind of veering off and tanking a little bit, and you can right the ship. But here, I just am imagining you know my grandma, my wife. And I think my youngest son, who's bouncing in the trampoline right now, listening to me and, uh, you know, I'll let their their fictional emotions guide me because I can't see anybody else. It's different, but it's fun. Well, it, it is a complete blessing to you that you don't have to look at my face for an hour. So congratulations on that. Second of all, it would be very impressive if your son was listening to this while jumping on the trampoline. That would be that would I would uh, give him a, a big high five about 10 feet up in the air if he was doing that. Oh, man, he loves it. I just set it up today. It came in like a thousand different pieces, and none of it made sense, and the instructions didn't make sense. <laughs> and somehow it's together, and hopefully it's safe. He's jumping on it. That's what's occupying him right now. <laughs> so hopefully there will be like no blood-curdling screams where I forgot to put in a screw or assemble something. But I think we're good. Uh, but he's he's loving it. Yeah, I just had this like deep terror that sometime between in this hour, you're going to be like, hey, I got to go. <laughs> was like, I've entrusted him to the Lord. He's good. <laughs> he's good. He just he's jumps good. over the fence and he's now in the neighbor's pool or something. <laughs> well, there's a pool there. So I think at that point, doesn't that elevate the fun? Absolutely. We used we had a pool when I was growing up. And uh, kids, don't try this at home. I'm glad your son's not listening because – he would he would learn from uh, his mean friend, Mr. Taylor. We used to jump. We would get on the roof of our house, jump off the roof of the house, onto the trampoline, into the pool. Um, it's amazing that I'm still alive with some of the dumb stuff I did as a kid. But uh, speaking of pools, it's a necessity to have over where you live. You're over in Mesa, Arizona. Um, you are the director of resource development at Life Teen. So what does a director of resource development do um, in his day in and day out? I work with all of the cool stuff we get to publish both digitally and in print. So when we do a new book or when we do some curriculum, when we publish blogs and social media, I'm really blessed to work with some great teams of people that create all of that content. And so I help oversee it and give it direction and make sure that everything we do leads teenagers closer to Christ. And it's an awesome job and it's as simple and amazing as that. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of fun. I, uh, What's really cool about tonight is uh, I tweeted about you coming onto the show, and then you retweeted it, and Life Team retweeted it, 
So like over 45,000 people between the two of you um, got to hear about the show. And so for the few of you that, that joined us that are listening, um, I'd just like to welcome you to Forte Catholic for the, for, for the first time and following Joel. So yeah, Joel, thanks for doing that. Um, are you also in charge of the Life Teen Twitter account? Because <laughs> it seemed like they came pretty quick. I am one of a couple people in charge of uh, that. Actually, Leah Murphy is the lady who runs our social media. She's our coordinator of digital evangelization and outreach. And I gave her that title, and I regret it because it's so long. And I have to write it on all of her stuff when I do, like, reviews and things like that. But it describes her role. But she's the one who retweeted it, I think, not me. So it wasn't like this narcissistic, I'll retweet that. <laughs> the Life Teen account, make sure everybody hears me on the radio. So it was very flattering. But, yeah, we are – uh, she's fun to work with. It's a great team of people, but they bless me and honor me when they do things like that. They retweet my petty things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You are really, really active on Twitter. And it's, it's funny. This, this shows why we have people like you on the show. It's because you, you just prove that you're a lot holier than me. I have, I'm in charge of my, my personal account and I have access to two other business accounts and I retweet myself all the time. So <laughs> you, you are a much more <laughs> humble and holy man than I. Um, so one thing I wanted to speaking of you being active on Twitter, there was something we did a while back, and I think you you, uh, you uh, replied to me a little bit. But this whole ministry madness bracket thing, right, where we pitted. Yeah, six... we need to. <laughs> Are you mad at me about, about that? that. Yeah, because <laughs> here's the thing. One, I thought it was hilarious because there's things like that that surface from time to time where it's like you know choose your favorite Catholic speaker or your favorite Catholic author or you know the most eligible Catholic bachelor, all of those kinds of things, but. You went the extra step and were very, I think, very precise in your instructions in saying this: these are the brackets, and you need to pick who you think would win in a legal boxing match, not a popularity contest. Like, who do you think <laughs> could win blow for blow? But you matched me up in the first round with Justin Fatika, <laughs> like, who is, for part of Neil's ministry, such a good guy, like, had a the honor meeting at an event several months ago, but I mean, the, the dude is ripped and he is intense. And I texted my wife the link. I was like, Hey, babe, go on, vote for me in the bracket. I know Taylor says it's not a popularity contest, but I'm your spouse. It's a popularity <laughs> contest. <laughs> she texts back and she's like, I can't do that in good conscience. Like, oh my gosh. You, you're just not, I'm ruining not people's work. marriages. <laughs> <laughs> like I couldn't do it. I, 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 I tried, but I, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's terrible. Every story that I've heard about Ministry Madness has been so much fun. That one breaks my heart. <laughs> it was hilarious. I'm like, you couldn't. And she's like, babe, it's, it's Justin. He does, like, handstand push-ups. <laughs> like, all right, fair enough. Fair enough. You're probably right, and you followed the rules, and I appreciate that about you. And it's part of the reason we're married. And now we're not talking <laughs> no, <laughs> today's the first day but today's the first time y'all that, that y'all have talked in like a month and a half because you were so manly and built a trampoline from scratch and no one's died yet so congratulations i know that that did it that <laughs> that put me over the hump right there <laughs> yeah so I, I do have to say though like for going up against justin you you put up quite a good fight you got over like over a third of the vote so congratulations that's impressive. I was anticipating one, which was going to be my own, and it because was, I was narcissistic. <laughs> I believed in myself more than anybody else. Uh, 
the fall fleet. I still can't believe your wife didn't vote for you, man. I'm actually super surprised that you uh, offered to come on to the show after I pitted you up against Dustin Fatika. Somebody had to have that matchup, and we already explained that I, that I'm not the holiest man alive. So I wasn't going to put me against Justin. I mean, come on. No, so. I understand. <laughs> I understand. I suppose it was going to happen, and I felt just honored to be in the ring with him. Um, I te- man, I texted like other friends too. Uh, David Calavita was on the list. I yeah. sent him a message. I'm like, hey, man. Like, check this out. It's hilarious. I'm like, but vote for me. And he's like, no. <laughs> That's all he said was just, no. He's like, you'd get hit so hard in the face. That would just be it. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. Like, I thought this was going to be all in good fun, and you're losing friends, and no, your wife's totally, mad at you. It totally you. was. <laughs> it no. totally was. It was, it was hilarious. I, yeah. I had good fun with it. Yeah, all a lot of good fun. So, um... To kind of uh, put a picture on what we are going to be doing today, Joel, you wrote a book called True North, A Roadmap for Discernment. And I got to hear you um, speak on this topic at the Austin Youth Ministry Summit, where you know all the youth ministers from around the Austin Diocese came together. Um, the, the, di- the diocese brought you in, and we just had a great day of, of fellowship and you sharing with us um, what you have come to learn about discernment. And me and a couple of the youth ministers that work with me at Ablaze Ministries, we we went over there and just got so much out of it. We, um, on our drive back, it's about two hours for us. We just poured over our notes and talked about it and just uh, ran it and raved over <clears throat> your content, your delivery and all that kind of stuff. I took over four pages of notes. I looked today as I was going through it and I was like, I think I might've just like written down all of his notes. Like <laughs> you might have four pages of notes uh, just cause it was all <laughs> such good stuff. And you had a quote, um, right in the right in the middle of it, that, that that where you said spiritual discernment is at the heart of the Christian life, and I was like, man, like the the listeners of this radio show, the listeners on the podcast have to hear from you about discernment because this is such a crucial and vital part of our daily walk. You know, people think discernment and they think, oh, am I going to get married? Or am I going to have um, be a priest or be religious or be single? I was like, man, it's so much more than that. We have to start um, in the day to day thing. So. Um, you're here to share with, with us um, all the things that, that you have come to know in your, in your study for True North. So um, first of all, what are some like, myths about, about discernment, and, and what is the truth behind those myths, or and to negate those myths? There's all sorts of them, and I think especially if you're a young adult listening, discernment is probably a word that you've heard, as you said, Taylor, like in relation to are you discerning marriage, are you discerning the priesthood, are you discerning religious life? And those are absolutely discernments, but I think that when we become narrowly focused on discerning our big vocation or a path in life that is uh, certainly a part of who we are, we lose the bigger picture of why it's so central to the Christian life, because discernment is about getting to heaven, making decisions on the daily that will help me be a holier person and will help me one day spend eternity in the presence of God, in the throne room of the creator and the king. And that means that if it's not at the center of who we are, understanding discernment, uh, there's going to be some challenges. And I think when we think about like myths and realities with discernment is oftentimes people, when they get into the, I need to discern marriage, let's say, or a dating relationship They either look at discernment as a one-time process 
I engage in it this one part of my life and then never again. So I'm going to discern whether or not to marry somebody, uh, whether or not to marry my girlfriend. And then I go through that process. And once I get married, it's over. I've discerned and I'm good to go. Or I've discerned the priesthood. And now that that process is over and I've been ordained or I've professed my, you know, perpetual vows, I'm done. Like I'm done discerning. And that's absolutely not the case. And I, I think discernment is a lifelong process. But the second flip side of that is that discernment isn't an ongoing thing. Our discernments do have ending points. So I've met people and I'm sure you have, and maybe we're one of those people I absolutely was who would get stuck in like perpetual discernment. Like, all right, I need to discern my relationship with my girlfriend, whether or not God's calling us to marriage. And so God, I'm going to need just to end this discernment, a very specific sign. I need a frog sitting on a log at this side of the road and I need it to have a copy of yesterday's paper just below it. And then I'll know. And then I'll know. I'll be good to go. You know, like we we find ways to keep ourselves stuck in perpetual discernment. Or I've met young men who are like, Yeah, I'm discerning the priesthood. And I'm like, dude, you've been like discerning the priesthood for five or six years. And it's just, yeah, I know, but I, it feels good to say it. Like I'm doing something. It's like when people say, you know, yeah, I'm gonna start a diet tomorrow. And you know those people who like tomorrow is just that that theoretical tomorrow yeah my diet starts tomorrow yeah i've been saying that for many many years and still gaining weight so (laughs) but it feels so good to say it you know like yeah i got a plan i got a plan to plan and i think that's the other place where people get stuck in discernment is they don't they say they want to discern something but they don't know how and so they enter into this process where they just keep saying the words but they're never actually doing anything about it because it's like dieting and saying I'm on a diet, but not knowing what steps to take to eat the right foods or to get the right kind of exercise or to set a plan that's going to help you be successful. So I think those are two big myths that discernment is either this one-time big thing that I do for something specific like my vocation, or it's this process that is just a word, but there's nothing behind it. And there's not a plan that I follow. It's just something that just kind of happens. Yeah, and I think that's so interesting because as as you see, especially when it comes to like the big discernment, right, of, of your voc- of your main vocation, is that I think it's just a a lot of times just an excuse to not do anything, right? Because you know we we know from statistics that people are getting married much much later and waiting and waiting. It used to be like twenty two, now it's I think the average is somewhere around twenty nine to thirty, um, and a lot of people who are in this perpetual discernment. Um, are just going about their daily life and not looking towards the future or listening to what God has for the future. And it's so funny. We used to joke about this uh, where I went to grad school that everybody like over discerned everything. And we called it our lady of perpetual discernment, right? This like fake uh, <laughs> right. Marian apparition, totally. right? It's like where people are just perpetually. We can all get behind. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm perpetually discerning, but never doing anything, never acting, never making a decision. Or, I mean, honestly, like, you know, you said that you've done it before. Like, there were times where I said I was discerning things and I wouldn't pray about that thing. You know, I literally was just putting off that decision, right? So I was in the same boat. Um, so you talk. Absolutely. I, 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 I think one of the things that we enter into is a real phenomenon called decision paralysis. And it happens in the spiritual life, too. We're presented with more options than ever. Uh, one of the reasons why Apple has been so successful is because they limit options. You know, you can get only a couple configurations of iPhones and MacBooks and things like that. But in our world, we're presented with so many choices now that 
people fear discerning something or entering into the process because we're almost paralyzed by the amount of opportunities or choices we could make. And I think that presents a real, real challenge in the spiritual life, maybe more than ever uh, in the early 21st century. It's like, yeah, it's like the feeling when you finish a show on Netflix and you have no idea what you're going to watch next. You just flip through stuff for like an hour and a half and then decide you're going to bed. You know, like you never actually make a new decision. So, um, no, you never watch it. You're just thumbing through. Exactly. So we want to talk, um, about what the sermon actually looks like, right? We've been talking about these myths about it and how people, um, go about it maybe in not the greatest ways or actually aren't actually discerning. So we're going to talk about these rules of discernment. We have about a minute left before we take a break. So why don't you introduce us to what the origin of these rules of discernment, and then we'll uh, dive deeper as we, when we come back from the break. Absolutely. A guy named St. Ignatius of Loyola found in his life that he experienced different spiritual movements where he was either really consoled or really desolate or felt really alive or really kind of dry. And from those things, he developed what he calls rules for discernment that he gave to his religious community, and they are a treasure for us in the church today and are just as applicable now as they were then. And that's what we're going to dive into. Well, great. I'm really excited about it, especially like I had never heard until last summer what consolation and desolation were. And I was like 26, 27 years old until I heard about it. So we'll dive more into that and learn more about um, this St. Eggie guy. Um, so uh, when we come back from the break, we're going to continue diving into this conversation with Mr. Joel Stefanik uh, from Life Teen. If you want to uh, stay, stay tuned with the show, you can always follow or find all the ways to listen at ForteCatholic.com slash radio or keep up with me at Taylor Schroll, S-C-H-R-O-L-L on Twitter. Uh, we'll get more into where you can find Joel in the next segment. We'll be right back. You are listening to Taylor Schroll on Forte Catholic Radio, joined by my guest co-host for the day, Mr. Joel Stepanek. We are talking about discernment. He is a speaker, author. He wrote the book, uh, True North, A Roadmap for Discernment. You can, he's real active on Twitter. You can find him at LT underscore J-S-T-E-P-A-N-E-K. He's a lot of fun. We met on there, and then I got to meet him in person in Austin about a month or two ago. Uh, where he was talking on this subject, and I'm just so excited to have him on the show today talking about discernment. So where we left off at the end of the first segment, we had just started the origin of these rules of discernment, right? Um, so, you know, Catholics you know, are kind of made fun of sometimes for having all these rules, but really this is a, is a huge guideline for how to discern and how to um, make this, this uh, discernment process, this prayer, a part of our daily life um, so, Joel, uh, thanks again for coming on the show. Why don't you share with us what those rules of discernment are? So there's actually two sets of rules that St. Ignatius gives. One of them, if you look them up, you're going to find first-week rules for discernment and second-week rules for discernment. St. Ignatius wrote this great work, and you may have seen it or experienced it yourself, called the Spiritual Exercises. So he wrote this really four-week retreat for 
people in his religious order to undertake and grow closer to the Lord uh, and ultimately grow in sanctity, which ultimately gets them to heaven. And that's the big goal. And in the first week, he offers these 14 rules that relate to the good and the bad spirit that relate to consolation and desolation and relate to forms of spiritual attack that can derail us from our ultimate goal of heaven. The second rules uh, of discernment, the second week rules for discernment relate to people who are, as I often say to people, much holier than I am and have progressed further on in the spiritual life. So typically when we talk about understanding the discernment of spirits, we're talking about first week rules of discernment, which are applicable to everybody in any walk of life, whether you are 13 years old, 31 years old, or 103 years old, you're going to get something out of the first week rules for discernment. And that is really what we want to talk about today, because hopefully from this radio show, you can pull something practical where you're like, oh, that's going to help me get to heaven. And if you can do that, it would be hugely helpful for me and shaving off some time that I have in purgatory <laughs> if I can help you attain sanctity. So really listen up, take some notes. Uh, because I'm being selfish and I need, I just want to get to heaven quicker. Attaboy. If, uh, we can all do that. Hey, that's a win. So when you look through the, the rules of discernment, if you look them up, I'm not going to go through all 14 specifically. Uh, you can do that in this great book called True North, a roadmap for discernment, or in, I guess, the classic work, Spiritual Exercises of St. Ignatius, which no, is. No, no, no. Read, read, read Joel's. He's a lot easier to understand. Book, find it. Good. Um, We'll go for some of the main ideas, because I think those are things that even if you don't read the 14 rules, you can start just applying to your life right now. And the first underpinning of the whole thing is that right now, as you're sitting, wherever you're listening to the show, you are either moving towards God or away from God. There's no neutral. And my years of youth ministry and parent ministry and young adult ministry have taught me that sometimes we really convince ourselves that there's a neutral, that there's like a pause button for our relationship with God. And that's not true because it's not true to any relationship we have in our life. If I stop calling my best friend, or if I stop speaking to my spouse, that relationship is going to start to deteriorate. It doesn't mean that we can't pick it back up and rekindle what we had, but it's not going to continue to get better. Uh, though we say absence makes the heart grow fonder, it doesn't necessarily make us grow stronger in our knowledge of one another and in how we progress in love. That's true for our relationship with God. So you're either moving towards God or away from God. And one of the things that moves us away from God is sin. When we choose to do things that break, hurt, weaken, destroy our relationship with God, we start to move away from him. And even if we neglect our relationship with God, we start to slowly progress backwards and we're not making any gains. We're just kind of slipping a little bit on this uh, you know those like airport walkways kind of like dude one of those. i was just thinking that away. same thing yeah, the airport right? walkways. i think that's a great <laughs> spiritual image there's a lot of spiritual insight you can gain from airports this is i'm realizing this more and more as i travel but the moving <laughs> walks just kind of slowly through crowds of people and that's what's happening even if we're not working on our relationship with god and this is the first big rule for discernment actually is if you are moving away from god you really will have a difficult time discerning anything. And I think that's important to note because sometimes we try to make big decisions, maybe about something big in our life. Like, is God calling me to seminary? Is God calling me to marry my boyfriend, my girlfriend? 
is God calling me to go to a particular school or to continue graduate studies or to just move somewhere new and take a job or become a missionary? These are things that are big decisions, but we try to make them when we're in a state of sin and we're not in a state of grace and we're moving towards, well, not towards God. It's like trying to find your way in a dark room when you think, you know, you ever have that where the lights are all off in your house and even your own house, the thing you're most familiar with, like the lights are off and you suddenly don't know where anything is. You're running into like coffee tables and walls because you can't <laughs> see, uh, or, you know, you'd like flip on the bathroom light, you're blinded, you walk out. Even familiar territory when we're caught in sin is dark and can even be dangerous. And so St. Ignatius says in his first rule, like if you're moving away from God, you're not really going to be able to make discernment of the spiritual realities in your life and what those things might be telling you. So you have to be doing things to correct that. And so if you're listening and you're like, man, I got big decisions to make, I think the best thing you can do is to ask yourself, am I moving away from God or am I striving to move towards God in my life? Where is your direction pointed? And if you're saying, yeah, actually, I'm doing the best I can to grow in holiness, not perfect, but striving. And I'm trying to avoid sin, maybe not perfectly, but when I fall, even into mortal sin, I go to confession and I seek God's grace. Well, those are good things. And then the Holy Spirit can work with those kinds of people who are pointed in a particular direction. And I think that's the first big underpinning. And the thing a lot of people get wrong in discernment is they just don't realize that, wow, I'm actually not moving towards God. And it's going to be really difficult to hear God's voice in my life if I'm not even paying attention. Yeah, and that's a, that's a great image. As you were talking, it's so funny because we keep thinking on the same wavelength. We were both thinking about the airplane thing, the airport thing at the same time. And then as you were talking about uh, being in sin, it's like there is this darkness, right? You, you mentioned that, and uh, Scripture often uh, relates sin with darkness, or saints, saints have been quoted doing the same thing. And I was thinking about last night, actually, the, the lights were off in our bedroom when we were sleeping, and my, my wife, bless her heart, had left like the bathroom door open. So I was walking like pretty quickly to get to like our actual door out of the room, and I just completely face planted into the door like in the middle of the night. <laughs> Ow! You know, like just right. extremely painful. And it's like all literally, all I had to do was was turn on the light, and I wouldn't have seen that. Right? Oh, what I waking up my life. So it's not the perfect uh, waking up my wife. So it's not the perfect example. But I was also thinking too is like, um, you know, like. This is going to gross some people out, but like when there's cockroaches and stuff, if you turn on the light, they're all going to flee real quick, right? So mm-hmm. as we're talking about this discernment thing, as, as what you're saying, all I'm thinking of is like the first step <laughs> is going to confession, right? Is going into that dark room where there's doors and there's like my kids' toys all over the floor. Maybe there's a cockroach in the corner. Like going to confession is like turning the light on. All that na- the nasty cockroaches will flee. You'll be able to see the things that are that are impeding you or that are messing you up and, and you'll just be more free without any impediments to to hear god and to make these big decisions oh, absolutely absolutely and i think confession's tough and the more that we acknowledge that i think sometimes good catholic people myself included will actually be the people who are most afraid of going to confession the other day i had to do a talk for a men's revival and i hadn't been to reconciliation in a couple of months and i'm like man i before I talk to all these guys, I should maybe go to confession, but, oh, there's no priest around, so Lord, I'll do it later. And then a priest walked in, and he's just standing there. And 
I have this serious internal debate of like, man, should I go to that priest? For All right, Jesus, I, mean, I see what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> you know, even to the point where I hear it in my head, like God saying, "Is your," you know, because. It's humbling to go to confession because you're like, I don't have it all together. And in my head, I'm hearing the Lord say, what's worth more, like your pride or my grace? And I was like, yeah, you win, Jesus. I'll go to confession. <laughs> he always wins those arguments so, with me. It, it frustrates me. <laughs> I know. It's so obnoxious. Like, Come on, Lord. Just give me one. Just one time. <laughs> but it, it's funny because, I mean, we talk about like, you know, I say I, I hear the voice my head but that's that's the next step and the, really the next underpinning of ignatius's rules for discernment is there's two big actors the the who so you've got the direction when we talk about discernment and then there's the who when we talk about discernment because saint ignatius talks about the actions of the good spirit or sometimes good spirits and he talks about the actions of the bad spirit or bad spirits when we talk about the good spirit he's talking about the holy spirit um, and he's even talking about like our guardian angels when he talks about good spirits and sometimes of other people, like good Christians who the Holy Spirit speaks through. And he talks about the ways that the Holy Spirit, the good spirit, interacts with us in our life and helps us understand how to get to heaven. That's the Holy Spirit's job, to sanctify us and to help us to be holy. So St. Ignatius writes in the rules about how the Holy Spirit interacts with our lives and how we become aware of that action and how we learn from what the Holy Spirit's saying in order to follow those things. So even my bit about the men's revival and that moment where the priest walked in, there was a moment of discernment that happened there where the Holy Spirit very much convicted my heart and was like, you need to go to confession. Like, and there was a sense of peace about that movement. There was a sense of finality. Like I saw the priest and there was just a, you have to go. Um, and conversely, there are just as there's a Holy Spirit that convicts us and wants us to get to heaven. As I felt in that moment for confession that go like, here's the push, here's the drive. There is, as Ignatius says, a bad spirit or bad spirits that are working actively against that goal. I think one of the tragedies of our modern time and even of our postmodern time is that we really are uncomfortable with the idea of Satan. And I'm not just talking about secular people or, or individuals who work in secular media or don't quite understand the spiritual life. I've met more and more Christians who really are not comfortable with the idea of a personal being named Satan. They'll say all kinds of things like, well, you know, this isn't Satan like any evil action or when we talk about evil spirits, aren't we talking about any bad things or sin that exists in the world? And it's like when people say that, it's like you're looking at an orange and you're saying, I mean, like, look at this orange, like this orange just is, there's, there's nothing that this came from. And I think that's what we sometimes do. We look at the fruit of evil and we're like, well, I mean, it's just evil, but it'd be silly to look at an orange and, and deny that it came from an orange tree, that there's a place where that fruit was born from. And it's the same thing. Evil in our world is born from a place and actually you know, born from a person uh, who is Satan, who's a, a real being. He's a powerful spiritual being. He has a, a legion of demons, all who chose against God and are forever envious of humanity as the crown of God's creation and as something that God has a special relationship with. And so the best that they can do is to try to get you to go to hell. And people sometimes sit up and, and sit back a little bit when I say that, like, well, well Satan desires your 
personal destruction. Just as Jesus desires your personal salvation, Satan is like, you know, your joker. He is the joker to your Batman. He just wants you to be the worst and bring you down to his level. And I think when we acknowledge that, we gain a certain power over that evil because we know who we're fighting. And so St. Ignatius wants to acknowledge those two people when we talk about, or those two entities, those two spiritual realities, when he talks about discernment, how do we discern things and how do we listen to the Holy Spirit who wants us to get to heaven? And how do we recognize the voice of the evil one, the bad spirits that want to drive us away from heaven? And then in each rule, he kind of breaks down, this is what the Holy Spirit is going to do. The Holy Spirit is going to bring feelings of peace and of comfort, of uh, consolation, which is a feeling of, um, if you can imagine, you know, like a lake where even if the, the waters above are really choppy, like there's a calm beneath the surface, you know, that's kind of a feeling of consolation, of closeness to God, a feeling of being loved by God. Like those are moments that the Holy Spirit can produce within us. And those are important realities to take note of when we're discerning something or we're discerning God's action or God's will in our life. And conversely, you know, the Holy Spirit uh, will console and will provide feelings of comfort and peace, but the bad spirit, the devil will seek to agitate us, will seek to kind of throw us off our game, will attack us even in our, our thoughts or our feelings. I think one place where it's easiest to, to hear these two voices is when it comes to finances. In our American culture, money is a big thing. Financial stability is a big thing. For people who are young adults, people who are in ministry, just people who are coming out of school with a lot of student loan debt, finances are a source of anxiety. And so when we start to talk about what God's provision in that and God's providing in that, there are oftentimes two voices, whether it comes to tithing or whether it comes to doing some other charitable act or whether it comes to jumping careers to something that maybe is going to help you love God more. And the good spirit, the Holy Spirit, maybe gives us a sense of peace with those things. So you can imagine a discernment of you feel called to do mission work, perhaps for a year, but you don't know how you're going to handle student loan debt. And so you're kind of praying on that and thinking through it. And you start to feel, as you think about mission work, a sense of peace and a sense of calm, a sense of mission, even, even a sense of just real satisfaction in that. And that feeling lingers and it stays. That's a work of the Holy Spirit, especially if you're moving towards God in your life, you're pursuing holiness. But in that same conversation, other thoughts might start to come up that aren't from the Holy Spirit. You might start to think, yeah, but I've got, I've got student loan debt. And then what if, what if my student loans, I can't defer them. And what if I, what if I have to pay a bunch of interest on them? And what if after the mission year, I'm actually in a really awful financial position and, and then I don't get a good job because I've done a mission year and then I can't get a good job and now I don't have the money and now I'm going to have to work like two jobs, one at a McDonald's and one at a subway. And then they're going to find out that I'm working at the other one and fire me for a conflict of interest. And then I'm going to wind up living, you know, out on the street and, and that's going to be terrible. And all of those thoughts and really even that thought progression is of a bad spirit because there's no peace. It's just agitation. It's just picking at you. They're not even prudent, rational thoughts. They're these extreme, wild, catastrophic thoughts uh, that maybe are deterring you from where God is calling you, which is to mission work, perhaps, in that case. And so Ignatius's rules concern these two realities and how we come to understand and hear each one of their voices. How do we recognize the voice of the bad spirit and how do we recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit? And that's a, that's, a, 
I, I love that, man, because I, I, I feel uh, one of the questions I was going to ask, and we'll get to it at the end of the uh, after this break we're about to have, um, but is how do we tell the difference between the good spirits, what God wants, and like the evil spirits and like our natural thoughts. So when we come back from the break, that is what we are going to dive into. We are here on Forte Catholic. I'm Taylor Schroll. We are talking all day with my guest co-host, Mr. Joel, Stepan- Joel Stepanek. Uh, we'll be right back. All right, we are back for our final segment of Forte Catholic. I have a very special guest co-host today, and apparently I found out, uh, I asked. He, he's a very gracious and, and, and humble man, so he didn't. He never told me I was saying his name right. So why don't you uh, correct me in front of all of my audience just to humble me? How do you actually say your name? It's Joel Stepanachowski. That's, that's absolute, absolutely correct. That's absolutely right. There's so many vowels and syllables in it. No, it's Joel Stepanek, and I'm just, I was telling Taylor, I'm just so loose about my uh, my last name. I, I don't mind if people mispronounce it. I once had a teacher in high school, like the first day of class, call me Joel Stepanek. And those letters don't exist anywhere in my last <laughs> name. I don't know how he got to, to Joel Stepanek, but I got like super Russian very quickly in my civics class. <laughs> And so I, since that day, I've kind of been like, yeah, people get, get it mostly right. I'm totally cool with that. But yeah, it's Joel Stepanek. I hold down the long A. Yeah, at least I didn't add letters. I feel a little bit better about myself. Um, yeah, see, like you, all the letters were there. <laughs> the sounds were different. So if you're, just, if you're just joining us, we're talking to Joel about discernment today. Uh, he wrote a book called True North that we're diving into. In this last segment, we want to answer the big question um, that, that we all have. What does God want from, from, from my life, for my life? Um, and before we, we hit the break, Joel, you were, you were sharing with us about how there's these, every time we're trying to make a decision, there are these two, maybe even three voices, right? There's this good voice that's leading us to, to, to peace, that's leading us to uh, what God wants. There's this, um, the evil one's voice who's leading us to discom- uh, discomfort and, and craziness. And then also that our reason is in there somewhere, like our thoughts are in there uh, somewhere as well. And it's so funny because uh, you were going down this thing where this example of, you know, somebody that wants to go do mission work. And then all of a sudden there's all these things. This could go wrong. Then this will happen. Then this will happen. Then this will happen. This will happen. And the whole time you were talking about that, I was thinking about this saint quote who said 90% of the things that I worried about never actually happened. Right. So we get into these, we get into these modes where it's just like, I'm stressing about all this stuff, and God's just like, homie, slow down, right? I got you. I also wanted to acknowledge that, um, t- to my knowledge, here on Forte Catholic tonight was the first time Satan was ever compared to an orange tree. I was really happy to hear about that. <laughs> if you missed it, you can go. That. go. You said that. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 like, you, you said that the fruit I of— I them on the way home. Like, we've got citrus trees everywhere in Arizona. <laughs> That's hilarious. So uh, if you missed that or if you missed any part of the show and want to go back and listen to it, if you're listening live now, you can always find the show on podcast on ForteCatholic.com slash radio. The podcast will be up tomorrow. You can go back and listen to um, old episodes as well with uh, guest co-hosts who, who, who aren't named Joel. There you go. Um, 
Also, it's really interesting because you were talking about how like God has a plan for your life. And if you've been around church, you've heard that for forever, right? And you were also talking about how like the evil one, evil one also has a plan for your life. Like he wants to destroy God's plan in you. So um, I want you, I want you to like enlighten us a little bit more about like tips for discerning God's will. How do we know what's God's will? What's our own thoughts? What's um, what's like deception from the evil one? How do we parse through all of that? The thing that you have to ingrain in your mind above all else, and this is where people trip up when we talk about myths of discernment, like we did at the top of the show, that God's plan for your life is holiness, is to get to heaven. And a lot of people get really worried with this blueprint mentality of like, God's got this big roadmap for my life. And if I don't follow it perfectly, like if I deviate at one point, that's it. I'm, it's over. Like I've ruined God's plan. Like maybe he wants me to be a priest. But if I, if I do something to deviate from that path, like then it, it's all over. God works with us and desires to work all things for our good. St. Paul says that in Romans. So if we love the Lord and we're striving after him, God's going to make all things work for our good because maybe God does have a more specific plan for your life uh, about a job that maybe he's calling you towards. And maybe it doesn't work out because we choose against it. We give in to fear or some aspect of sin or something clouds our reason and we don't choose the job that God wants for us. If we're still striving after God and looking for holiness, God's going to look at us and say, all right, like time to find a new path to get you to heaven. And, and it, that's as simple as that, because people get so scared of choosing the wrong thing. I think it was St. Thomas, uh, St. I'm canonizing people. Um, it was Thomas Merton who said, you know, Lord, I, I don't always know your will, but my desire to do your will pleases you. I don't know if I know your will, but my desire to do it pleases you. So as long as we're striving for heaven, that's, that's number one. I think the second part of that then is, well, that's great. And that's such a nice thought where Jesus wants us to be in heaven, but that doesn't help me decide what job to take or whether or not to go into seminary or whether or not to marry my boyfriend or my girlfriend. And there's ways that we can do that. There's ways that we can discern what God's will is for us in a given situation. And it relates to those two voices, the Holy Spirit, the good spirits, uh, and the bad spirit, the evil spirit, and really two movements that happen in our spiritual life are called consolation and desolation. So consolation is a spiritual movement that brings us closer to God. It's something that helps increase faith, hope, and love in us. So there's ways of even differentiating what you might think of as a, uh, like a physical consolation, which is not a spiritual consolation. We're talking about spiritual consolation. You look at a sunset. Uh, In Arizona, we have beautiful sunsets. And so you look out at a sunset and you think, man, that's a beautiful sunset. Now, and you feel good, you feel like warm fuzzies. And that's a feeling of consolation, but it's not spiritual consolation because it's not increasing faith, hope, and love in us. But maybe you're looking at that sunset and you start to think, man, like that is beautiful. And God made that. And God made me. Like I'm, I'm on par with the beauty of this sunset. And God, of all of all the people in the world, God loves me specifically in, in how huge everything is. And you've become very moved by that. And now there's an increase of love of God in you. And maybe it even leads to an increase in hope. Like, wow, if, if God created all this and is mindful of me, then, then I'm not abandoned. I'm not orphaned. And that leads to an increase in faithfulness to God. That's spiritual consolation. Now, the reason why we need to start with the sunset is maybe it's something we all can relate to and experience the beauty in the world, which certainly points us to God. But it applies to discerning things, because maybe there is a job 
that you're interested in. And let's just say it's teaching. Uh, you're in school and you want to be a teacher, but you're not sure if you want to really do that. But you find that anytime you're working with grade school children, which happen to be the grade you want to teach, that you find yourself very much alive and that afterwards your prayer is better. You find yourself less prone to sin. You find yourself feeling more joyful. Joy is a mark of a Christian. And you just find yourself, even with lingering feelings of satisfaction, fulfillment, and peace after you have experiences working with grade school children or teaching classes. That is a really positive indicator of what God's will is for your life. God does not call us to something that will leave us devoid of joy. And I think we have this self-righteous, almost pharisaical belief that to do something holy, I have to not enjoy it. <laughs> I used to think that going to mass with my grandparents was the worst thing because the parish, there was all kinds of just, it was, you know, you're, you're a kid and it's your typical it feels boring. The homily feels long. It's a rural country parish. But I knew that that's what I needed to do to be holy was to go to mass. But I connected it in my mind that, well, like holy things must be really unenjoyable. And that's just not true. Even things that are difficult to do, like we think of saints who are martyrs, God calls them to martyrdom or God calls them to mission work or God calls them to service. There was still joy that existed in their life. Now, not always happiness. We know that sometimes there can be movements where a person doesn't experience a feeling of joy. We call those movements times of spiritual desolation. So consolation is when we have an increase of faith, hope, and love, and that's a positive indicator that we should make a decision. We want to make decisions when we're in moments of consolation, when we're having that spiritual connectivity to God. We feel God's closeness. Prayer comes easy. We're able to avoid sin well. There's an increase of faith, hope, and love in us, and the Holy Spirit is working, working in our lives. Those are great times to be attentive to our feelings and to make decisions because it's easier to sort through those things. The converse spiritual movement is desolation, and desolation is when we feel, I want to emphasize that we feel, that God isn't close. God is always close to us. But desolation, maybe it's harder to pray. Maybe we find ourselves more agitated in prayer. Again, there's a difference in desolation and being caught in a lifestyle of sin. If we're caught in a lifestyle of sin, it might be difficult to pray, but that's because we're not in a state of grace. If we're in desolation, we're still moving towards God, but suddenly we feel like God's almost removed his presence from us. And there's lots of reasons we might find ourselves in desolation. Maybe God is trying to increase our faith by leaving us to kind of experience what our life would be like if we suddenly decided to stop following him. Maybe God is putting us through a time of desolation so we can gain greater insights in ourselves. Maybe we're starting to get a little bit too prideful and think that all of the good things in our life are coming from us. So God kind of pulls back his hand a little bit to say, well, here's what happens if you're left to your own devices. Desolation is something that can derail a lot of good spiritual people because they're like, I'm moving towards God. I'm praying. I'm doing all of these things that, that are supposed to be helping me feel good and feel connected. And now I don't feel anything. And then they sometimes give up. Uh, but it's just God working through a spiritual up and down. The spiritual life isn't all ups. It's peaks and it's valleys. And desolation can teach us a lot about our relationship with the Lord and is necessary to grow. But if we find ourselves in a place of desolation, it can mean one of two things. One, it might mean that wherever we're at in a state of life is causing feeling of desolation. It's something that doesn't lead to faith, hope, and love. In fact, it may even give rise to thoughts that are anti-faith, hope, and love. 
I think for me, when I was in school, I was a pre-med major and I was doing really well in my classes by all accounts from the outside looking in, you would say, wow, you found your career. You're going to be an orthopedic surgeon, which is what I wanted to be. You're going to be very successful. You're going to make a lot of money and have a very comfortable, wonderful life, um, helping people you know, feel better and, and have a higher quality of life as well. And now you work but in Catholic youth ministry, same kind of uh, work, financial thing. It's, it's comparable. I'd say it's comparable. You know, it's <laughs> I mean, exactly the same. you can compare a penny to a million dollars. Yeah, they're both money, right? They both have some value, don't they? Yeah, and so, and that's how I wound up in youth ministry is I wound up feeling desolate. Even though I was doing well, I never felt at peace. I felt anxious. I felt agitated. It wasn't leading me to greater faith, hope, and love in God. Now, some people become surgeons and become doctors, and it does lead to a greater faith, hope, and love in God, and they, that helps them grow in their relationship. That's their path to sanctity. It wasn't for me. And so in entering that time of desolation, it was an indicator that I needed to move out of that position, and I needed to move out of, of pre-medicine and choose something else. There are a lot of people that don't pay attention to that and kind of grunt through those feelings, whether it's in a relationship, we say things like, oh, well, you know, I mean, I don't feel any, I just, I get, I don't feel at peace with the relationship right now, but, you know, we've been dating for a couple of years and, and doesn't that happen? You know, it doesn't bring me any joy. It's not helping me necessarily get closer to the Lord, but, but I feel like, I don't know that I can get out of it. And, you know, we, people justify staying in bad situations or even not even bad situations or dangerous situations, but just situations that aren't leading them to holiness through this reasoning. So we have to be attentive to moments we feel desolation because it may be indicating that we're not in a good place and we need to choose a different career path or a different relational path or maybe just a different place where we're living or that we need to make decisions differently. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's other, very great like practical things to, to share with us. Like I said uh, earlier, like I had never heard of this consolation or desolation thing. So, I, and I, as you've been talking, I've been thinking about like a, a sports analogy, right? People, a lot of people just think, as we mentioned the the in the first segment, that discernment is just for your big vocation, right? But it's it's so mm-hmm. important to do it on the daily, which I, is just funny because you said that, and I was like, yeah, that dude works in youth ministry. He's he's staying hip, um, but like doing like. Athletes don't just go out for the game; like they practice, they've prepared for these things. So when we're going to have these big discernment things, um, it, it's something that we need to be practicing on, like day in and day out. So we have about like two minutes left, and I, and I think we'd be we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about um, the big discernment, the the lifelong discernments, the vocations. So in the last two minutes we got together, why don't you just share with us like how all these things that you've shared with us about discernment today help people to make those big decisions in life about their vocation, that sort of thing. Yeah. When it comes to your big vocation, you have to ask yourself, one, are there little things I can do that I can discern consolation and desolation within? So for young men, if you're going to discern the priesthood and for young women who are going to discern the religious life or young men are going to discern the religious life, part of those vocations is celibacy. And so to discern that, live celibately. (laughs) you know, for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, uh, avoid romantic contact. If you're really like seeking that, avoid those romantic relationships for a little bit. And how does that make you feel? Like, is there something peaceful about that? Is there something almost liberating about that? Do you find yourself praying better 
within that, that may be something that gives you a positive indication or a feeling of consolation towards that vocation. Uh, similarly, how do you do with serving people? Does serving people give you a feeling of consolation or desolation? Find little pieces of the big vocation and discern how the Holy Spirit speaks through those moments. Same thing for marrying somebody. I remember dating a girl who I did not marry, but like I had nightmares about marrying her. Like that relationship left Ouch. me in desolate places. <laughs> and it wasn't a bad relationship. It was a relationship that by all accounts, again, was a holy relationship, but there was something that was unpeaceful below the surface. Be mindful of those things in your day-to-day life. When you think about the priesthood or religious life, or you think about marrying a certain person, what kind of feeling does that bring up in you? Does it bring peace? Does it bring joy? Something deeper than like, oh, it just makes me feel happiness or puppy love or excitement. Does the feeling linger? Saying Ignatius talked about how the feelings he would have about certain spiritual things would linger for a while. It wasn't a fleeting moment. When you think about marrying somebody, does that feeling last? Do you feel good about that all day? Do you feel consoled all day? When you think about the priesthood, do you feel consoled all day? Do you feel consoled when you think about religious life? But does that feeling linger? Is it more than just a fleeting thing? And to pay attention to those moments, their little movements daily, journal about it, get a spiritual director, run those things through that person, um, and they'll give you some great feedback on it. And those things by those little steps, they lead us to the big moments and the big devocation. Well, that's great. Joel, thanks for thanks so much for for coming on um, and, and sharing your expertise with us. Uh, guys, if you want more, because I promise you there's more. Like I said, I took four pages of notes when he came and spoke to us. Um, you can go check out his book, True North, A Roadmap for Discernment, um, on Amazon, on his website. Um, what's your website over there, Joel? How, how can people find you? Yeah, you can find me. Um, I work at Life Team, so you can find me at lifeteam.com. Or you can uh, look at some of my products, uh, my books, my products. <laughs> it's so weird to say. Uh, some of the things I've written and some blogs and things. Um, and then if you're interested in hanging out for some speaking stuff at joelstepanek.com, uh, J-O-E-L-S-T-E-P-A-N-E-K. There's only one of me. If you Google it, uh, joelstepanek.com. Otherwise, find me on Twitter, Instagram. I always love to talk to people and uh, just hang out on the social medias. Well, Joel, thanks again for coming on. This was way too much fun. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe, like, rate it on your favorite podcast website. Also, we have baby number three on the way, so go check us out on patreon.com slash Catholic to financially support the show, support um, our work here, and also get some cool prizes along the way. So thanks again for listening. This has been Forte Catholic. Adios. See ya.